Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bijou Banter. Today in the KRUI studio, we got Orson Cod. Oh, hello. And myself, Matthew Hall. Unfortunately, Daniel McGregor Hoyer could not be here today, but that's okay. We're going to continue on with the show. And today it is Friday, October 29th, 2021. And that means today in theaters and at Film Scene at the Chauncey in particular, Edgar Wright's latest horror film, Last Night in Soho, has just released. And we're going to talk about that as well as Evil Dead 2. We were said we were originally going to talk about Marvel's What If, but we have some synergy going on with Evil Dead 2, which we'll bring up at the very end of this discussion. So stay tuned to that. But we're going to start off with Last Night in Soho. This is the latest film by director Edgar Wright, who is best known for his work in the Cornetto trilogy, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and Baby Driver. And it stars a, it has a really good cast. It has Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, Terrence Stamp, Michael uh, A. Ajao, Diana Rigg, and Rita Tushingham. And the story of Last Night in Soho follows a young fashion designer named Eloise, who has a mysterious psychosis who allows her to enter into the 1960s through a dream where she encounters a wannabe singer and realizes there's this really dark and twisted mystery regarding the whole thing. What do you think about this film, Orson? I thought this movie was a bit of a mess. Like, I really love Edgar Wright. I think he's one of the most visually... Uh, he knows how to do visuals very well along with his quirky humor, and I think he can direct his actors really well, and he is great at picking music. But there there was just something off in this movie, and I, I enjoyed watching it, I'll say that, but it's the least Edgar Wright movie of Edgar Wright movies, if that makes sense. Like, if you didn't know he directed it, I don't think you would have assumed, oh, this is directed by Edgar Wright. And I think that's just a little disappointing in my opinion. And I, I feel like he could have done a lot more with the story. It's interesting, but I never feel like it's explored to its full potential. The film is riddled with a lot of plot holes. I didn't care for the editing. I thought it was kind of slow. But again, I still had fun watching it. But the more like, you know, it's been like, what, 12 or so hours after we've seen it. And I, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, Ugh, I don't know. I'm kind of mixed with my feelings right now. I was really excited for this movie. Um, Edgar Wright is one of the most visually distinct directors working today. And also he has remarkable consistency. Like mm. every single one of his films. Even I, Sparks. Even, yeah, Sparks Brothers, which was his recent foray into documentaries, was excellent. That's actually one of my favorite movies of the year so far. But every single one of his films not only had a distinct Edgar Wright feel, kind of like how Wes Anderson and Tarantino have their own unique styles now, uh, Wright falls into that category, and every single one of his films, regardless of genre, regardless of characters, have been excellent. So I was really looking forward to Last Night in Soho because it was his first attempt at making a really serious, dramatic horror film because he's done Shaun of the Dead, which more falls in lines of comedy, and I really like that movie as well. But, man, this was a complete letdown, a complete disappointment. When we, we saw it together last yeah. night... Last night in downtown Iowa City. Uh, film scene at the Chauncey. Film scene at the Chauncey, yeah. Where it's playing. Yeah, everyone's waiting for you. But basically, um, I when we got out, I was kind of upset too. Which, yeah. Which it's like, I was more upset. There's Well, there's many reasons why, but it was mostly because this was the first Edgar Wright film that I didn't like. And I didn't think this would be the one that would cause me to be that upset over it because I had... Granted, my expectations, they were high, but I purposely tried not to watch trailers, which I really don't anymore to begin with. But it is just such an uneven, poorly written, and just really poorly executed horror film, even though it has a really a really intriguing premise regarding time travel and also 
involving like the personal reflection of your past and ghosts and all of these like weird like zombies and stuff yeah. combined with that nostalgia of like the 60s and seven or yeah late 60s it had a lot of promise on and there are some really good things about it we'll probably get into this but it's like it is visually a stunning looking movie the production design is beautiful the cinematography is really good the soundtrack is fantastic it has a really good song selection but none of that matters because the script is just so poorly written and we'll get into reasons why but it's just so frustrating at times when by the time we get near the end it tries to wrap up and answer all these questions and it does such a poor job at doing so and also it tries to do a lot in terms of heavy subject matter and it doesn't work out too well yeah it definitely I don't know, like, the way to describe it. First of all, in terms of the songs, I thought the song choices were good, but I thought there were too many song choices. There's, like, so many needle drops here. I feel like a lot of movies nowadays think they're Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like, oh, well, we can just pick a very famous pop song and pop it into, like, an action scene or a romance scene or a suspense scene or whatever, and it doesn't always work like that. And, of course, you know, Guardians got it from Tarantino, and Tarantino probably got it from Scorsese, and, you know, it just goes back. You know, it's not like a new thing that James Gunn invented. But, you know, he made it very popular the past 10 years or whatever. And I just, again, Edgar Wright knows how to choose songs, it's not like it's just an amateur filmmaker thinking, you know, oh, I can pick whatever songs I want. I'm Tarantino or James Gunn. But I just feel like here he threw in so many songs that like it overwhelmed a lot of the scenes they were in because it was so constant. It didn't make the songs feel special, if that makes sense. I, I could see that. I, I personally didn't have that problem with it. It was more just, I don't know. It's just the overall presentation. You alluded to this too, but it doesn't, feel like an Edgar Wright movie, no. which it's like, you could, I could, I could see why it doesn't feel like that because maybe he wants to sort of break into new genre territory. A lot of directors want to go like that when they feel like they've, they've either are tired of their style, which I don't know if Edgar Wright is necessarily tired of his shtick at this point, but maybe he wants to just do something new, do something cre creative. Cause that's what all artists want to do. And it's like, I admire the fact that he tried to do something way more dramatic. Cause it's not a comedy. This is not a comedy in any way shape or form, even though there are some jabs at humor, but they don't always work. It just feels like he was trying, it, it really feels like his most pretentious movie. Yeah. But not in the way that's like frustrating. It's like, oh, I'm an auteur. I think I can make like the great, like great art, but it's more just the concept doesn't really let, I feel like it doesn't lend itself more to that dramatic territory. If this was a bit more lighthearted and fun, maybe it would have been a bit better. Well, it's interesting what you mentioned about him trying to break into a new style. I loved Edgar Wright's, you know, quirky kind of humor. And I don't, I mean, it's, I want to try to find the right way to word this. I don't think he should have tried to do this dramatic style if he wasn't 100% sure he could do it. And I know someone will come at me and be like, well, you know, Orson, the director must grow. But I'm like, I, I get that. But at the same time... He's so distinct. He's yeah. really done well with this kind of quirky. And even Shaun of the Dead, you look at that. While Shaun of the Dead isn't necessarily a scary movie, it is a horror movie. Yeah, definitely. But it works so well with blending that kind of humor with the romance and the comedy and the scares. And if he wanted to try and do a more dramatic thing, I feel like it should have been more of a smooth transition. Whereas here, it just feels like it's complete 180 from the last time he did a horror film. If I that mean, makes sense. yeah, it's been a long like really the last horror film we did was Shaun of the Dead. Well, because, The well, World's End was kind of a horror film, but not, that's more like a sci-fi. More like sci-fi, yeah. yeah. But really his last major attempt at doing something supernatural was 
Shaun of the Dead, which was over 15 years ago. Yeah. I think that came in like 2003, 2004. Yeah, that was 2004. 2004. Yeah. So it's been a long time since he's tapped into this genre territory, but it just seemed like he's had so little experience with this since then because he's also done Scott Pilgrim, which is very, it's very much a comic book film. Yeah. It's a video game, basically. Video game comic book film. Yeah. yeah. And then Baby Driver is just straight up action and is an excellent movie. That's my personal favorite of his filmography as well. But it's just, I don't know. And the way uh, he handles just the overall subject matter, because there is a lot going on in this movie considering uh, its pacing is a little irregular. Like the biggest problem with me is that the movie does not start strong at all. It starts off incredibly corny and cheesy because the first few scenes we see our main character, Eloise, who is an aspiring fashion designer. Her room is littered with all this 60 paraphernalia and she she gets accepted into this uh, art school program. And it just, it seems like overly sappy in terms of, oh, maybe it's trying to point to the fact that she's innocent. She's not ready for the seediness of London and Soho that awaits her. But even when she gets to Soho, the dialogue that she has with all the other kids at this school is just so unrealistic and so just silly and stuff. It plays into all these archetypical stereotypes. Like you got the uh, girl, the bully, but the bullies, they're supposed yeah. to be like what? 19 or 20 they're years supposed, old. Yeah. They're supposed but to be college girl students. Is playing, not the main character, but the, the bully character is literally like a high school bully yeah. freshman year. And I'm like, I mean, we're both in college. I've never once encountered a bully. Like, yes, there are people that I'm like, oh, that person seems like they're not a nice person, but they're not like a straight up bully like you would expect in like some teen it's like, comedy. It's like Mean Girls, honestly. And Mean yeah. Girls is, well, Mean Girls is funny, first of all. And But this one's just, the way it feels, it just feels like a really bad Disney Channel movie, which is not what I expected coming from A, a horror film like this, and also B, from Edgar Wright, considering the way he writes dialogue, it's so snappy and it flies off really quickly and it feels very natural despite its quirkiness. This one, it feels way more in the other direction, which I also want to mention too, uh, Edgar Wright came up with the story for this movie, but he co-wrote it with uh, another screenwriter named Christy Wilson uh, Karen, or Karens, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, who also co-wrote 1917 and was also a showrunner for uh, Penny Dreadful as well. And... I don't know how much of the script was written by her or, or vice versa. I don't know if it was like equal or maybe it was like more or less, but it just, it didn't sound right. It didn't sound like any of the characters when they were talking, it didn't feel natural in any way she or form. I'd be, I'm, I don't have any insider knowledge, but if I had to guess, maybe he had an idea and he was, I don't know, focusing on the documentary or something. And like someone else wrote it and maybe he did like, you know, he, they finished it, did a draft and then maybe he just edited it. But I could, I don't know. I think he more or less focused on the directing here in terms of like the visuals. Cause the visuals look very good for yeah. the most part. There's some scenes where you're like, yeah, okay. But, uh, you know, the 1960s stuff is great. I yeah, think really it good. looks the first time, uh, our main character gets into the 1960s. It's beautiful. Even though you can tell it's, you know, probably CGI. I was like, all right, it looks really good. I think he focused more on the directing instead of the writing. That that, that could be a possibility. Like we don't have any insider knowledge no. on any of this, but that would actually make a lot more sense. But the one thing I was really surprised about is, and this is just common knowledge. If you want to write a horror film, they say, especially if it's feature length, you need to have a scare like every 10 pages before you get to like the climax where usually most, a lot of scares are happening. I don't think a scare actually really happened until maybe about 45 minutes in. Yeah, it's lacking in scares because it is more of a psychological horror film. So it's Which more that's of, fine. Yeah, if that's it wants fine to too. Do that, but 
It marketed itself. Again, this has got to be a marketing issue, which we could get to that terrible second trailer. Oh, God, yeah. Basically gave away the whole movie. It did. It markets itself as like, no, it's the super like scary movie. Really, I mean, there are a couple scares, but like nothing too terrifying. I mean, I think there's a difference between actually being scary and disturbing versus a loud sound that makes your nerves tense up for like 10 seconds. Yeah, it, it is very lacking in, I guess, real scares. Not that I, There are a couple jump scares, which jump scares I find to be really cheap, so I'm glad yeah. it's not riddled with that. But it's still just like even when it's trying to build up to something in term, and build suspense, it does not work well because it's more just slow and like the movie just sort of like plods along. It doesn't yeah. really build any sort of tension. And that also leads into another one of my problems too is that the characterization of the of Eloise and Sandy are really really just like flat. These, yeah. Especially the main character because considering that we're following the whole world through her eyes, we see everything that she sees and sort of following along with her. Besides her ability to go back in time, which they also don't really explain that too. No. It could be a sense of schizophrenia, which if that's the case, it's handled really poorly, and I don't think you should exploit any sort of mental illness like that because that's just flat out wrong. But it just like she's just not an interesting protagonist, really. The only sort of personality you get from her is that she has that psychosis and also she is, I guess, lonely. She wants to fit in, but also realizes that uh, the city isn't anything that she imagined it would be and wants to return back home. Yeah. But it's like, really, that's it. Like, we don't, I, I don't know, I don't get a sense of her personality. That's the problem. Yeah, I was surprised because she's very much into like 60s stuff, 60s rock music, 60s style of clothing, whatever. And like she gets like rejected by people because she likes this kind of stuff. She's seen as an outcast, quote unquote. She's different. And I'm like, okay, yes, she, she likes a lot of stuff from the past. I mean, look around in modern society today. You can see people wearing a different variety of clothing from yeah. different styles and, you know, different, you know, years or whatever. And I'm like, I don't think, I mean. And she goes, she yeah. goes to an art college too. Like you're telling me she's the only person that only. She goes to a fashion college. A fashion, a fashion art college, art in, college. in London, which and I don't know much about like London pop culture, but I'm sure just the whole eclectic art culture and just any sort of art school would be like, oh yeah, there's tons of people that like talk about the 60s or wear 60s clothes, yeah. listen to like 60s music, you have record players and stuff. It's just like, why is all this hate directed towards her when it's just completely unwarranted and completely unrealistic? I feel like a lot like the characters in this movie, the movie itself has a bit of an identity crisis. It doesn't yeah. know what it's trying to commit to. Is it trying to commit to like being this like kind of thriller that has a lot of commentary on, you know, how women are viewed and treated, or is it trying to be a horror film where a woman can time travel into the past and she witnesses some stuff that's kind of spooky? Like, and it can't get its characters right because, you know, you've got the bully that's, you know, 20 years old, but she's clearly playing like a 16-year-old. Then you got the girl who's wearing the 60s clothes and she's treated as an outcast when in reality, that's not really how we treat people like that. I just don't get it. Like, it seemed like it was all over the place. It really is, but we'll be back with more Last Night in Soho after this quick PSA. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are back with continuing our conversation on Last Night in Soho. And we left off with um, how this film views and treats women, yeah. which this was one of the biggest problems I had personally. And obviously coming from, I'm a straight or a cisgender male. I don't know, maybe I'm not, I'm missing something or I just can't personally relate to it just because of, my gender, but the way the film views and treats women, I feel is really, it really rubbed me the wrong way because one could argue that it's meant to be a 
it's most it's meant to pay tribute to like Italian giallo films or British horror films where it was they had a lot of emphasis on sex and violence in terms of the way they viewed women, treated women and stuff and all that. Which, if that's the case, first of all, that's not a good excuse because I don't think you should be like, oh, it's paying tribute, so that gives it a pass. No, but also, in the climax, it com- it takes a completely left-hand turn in terms of it, it goes more down the lines of being like a feminist approach, yeah. which is admittedly interesting considering that's not how the movie was marketed, but the way it handled it and just sort of, I I feel a little weird talking about this on air, but it's just... I don't know, by the time we get to the climax, and also I don't want to spoil stuff yeah. too, the way it all ends in terms of the character decisions, it just seemed like if you have, there's like a last resort option and this is what you need to do. I'm just like, is this really a good message to bring? You know what I'm talking about. I, yeah, I know right? what you're talking about. Yeah, to our listeners who haven't seen the movie, it probably seems really weird, but when you watch it, if you would like to, uh, there is just this weird feeling that I got from it. It's- and no, I just think it's interesting that you're saying that, you know, as a straight man, it bothered you. But last night I was listening to a review from a straight woman movie reviewer and she was like, it felt fine to me. So I'm like, I just don't know. Like, I, I guess maybe it just depends on like whose opinion it is. But I will say one thing I give Edgar Wright props for is that there's actually no nudity in this movie. And I'm like, I think that's kind of a good thing because there are many cases where like with the female dancers or with certain things in the movie that I won't spoil. You're like, okay, maybe you could have asked the actresses to maybe have their tops off or, you know, show a butt cheek or whatever. (laughs) But I mean, like obviously some of the characters were like revealing clothing, but there's actually no straight up nudity. There's no straight up nudity. And I'm like, that's good on Edgar Wright for not doing that because even though he's trying to have a message about something, I'm glad he didn't do that because I think it would have just totally made it all crumble. It would have made it all crumble. I mean, I think on the MPA rating, it actually says um, one of the reasons why this movie's rated, the movie's rated R. Why it actually says brief graphic nudity. I didn't. I mean, I didn't really see. one scene where like someone's dancing and like, I think they just bend over and like, again, you just see like their butt cheeks for a second, but, but like they're wearing either. like clothing. So like, it's just revealing, but yeah, it's not nudity. It, it could be like a picture or something. Maybe there was a, yeah, maybe there's like an art picture. Oh, no, no. It was, it was when, uh, Eloise was looking through like the telephone booth in the window. There were like some provocative drawings. There was some provocative picture there. Oh, so it might've yeah. been that, which if that's, the, if that's the case, that's a really, that's, that just seems like nitpicking. That's a really me. nitpicky way to rate a movie yeah. R. I mean, the movie's violent. There's some profanity too. But yeah, just, but not only was it handled, it's viewing and treatment of women just kind of iffy. It also has a really, in my opinion, exploitive viewpoint in terms of how it handles mental illness and yeah. abuse, which I mean. And suicide. And yeah, and suicide, pardon our words. But, um, well, yeah. I'm, but it's just like, I mean, I myself am not, I don't suffer from any of these I don't, i'm not schizophrenic or anything at least i don't think I am. but but it's just like i don't know even though i don't I, I can't relate to that either it's just the way it felt is that it's like eloise has this psychosis that allows her to travel back in time but then everyone just views her as crazy and nobody not once does any of the characters want to actually help her and try and actually right. give some sort of diagnosis to it and it's not until the end when every not to spoil it it, once everything happens, then they just treat it as normal. And yeah. it's just like, is that really the best way to go about handling a topic or, or a sensitive issue like this? 
considering there's many people that actually suffered through mental illness, the fact that it's such a major plot point that does not get the respect that it deserves, you're going to upset a lot of people, honestly. Even some people that might not even know what it must feel like to have that sort of illness. Yeah, I again, I don't have mental illness in my family, but again, I think you can just know, oh, you're not doing that the right way. I feel like we talked about a movie recently where we touched upon the same topic too. I don't remember what it was. It wasn't Malignant. I don't recall, but we were like, yeah, they just did it the wrong way. And I think, yeah, they. I don't know if they did it 100%. I, yeah, I can't here. remember. What it, was it the social dilemma maybe? No, but, it was something more recent. I'll yeah. look. Well, yeah, but I mean, th- those, those two... Um, subject matters are actually what's polarizing a lot of people in terms of just the thematic integrity, I guess, of the movie. Because for me, it's just, considering it plays such a big role in this film and the approach to it, it just, it did not hit very well. Even though I could tell there was a clear intent, it felt like it was not fully realized and they handled it in a very poor way, which really disappointed me considering, like, I feel like admittedly Edgar Wright has never really made something this serious before or but I don't know. It's just... Now, I have a question for you. Yeah. What would you rather watch again? This or Malignant? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I personally go Malignant only... I mean, I liked Malignant. I went, yeah, I'm giving that a higher score than I'll give this. But I think that had more like creativity to it, whereas this just felt kind of a little bland. I mean, Malignant, I was bored with too. Really? Until the very end, because yeah. the very end was just so insane. Off the walls. Yeah. Honestly, to me, if I had to choose, if it was like, if someone's like, okay, if you, it's like life or death, you need to choose. I would honestly have to choose Malignant just for that ending because the ending is so crazy. Whereas the ending here is just. The ending here, the end, okay, the ending here, without, without giving away everything, it tries to answer all the questions and sort of like unravel. It doesn't answer any of them. No, it doesn't answer a thing. And if, if anything, it only adds asks more questions and yeah. just like, what is even happening? You threw all logic out the window and this movie literally just doesn't make a lick of sense anymore. They did what old did where like if they ended it at a certain place, I think the movie would have been a little bit better. Like the ending would have been viewed better, but they added an extra scene. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, if you would cut that out and just left it for like, the Blu-ray or like an alternative ending or whatever, it wouldn't like take away from that. And that also adds to the really poor handling of, of mental illness too. That didn't hit, that didn't sit right with me either. Yeah. And speaking of old, I know we kind of talked about this after we saw it. I would rather watch old again. Old was by far worse than this movie, but at least old was funny. Yeah. Old was a good comedy. (laughs) And I feel like also with old is that even though both these films are about the same length, I think old is like maybe 10 minutes shorter. I think that went a lot faster than this did. This just kind of felt like, especially the first like act and a half, you're just like sitting there and you're like, where is this going? Because it's like, so repetitive too. Because yeah. she just goes to sleep, goes into the dream world, wakes up, is like, okay, real life sucks. I want to go back to the dream world. And she just keeps doing the same thing up until like actual stuff happens in, in the third act. Yeah. And then it, it's like, oh my goodness. It sets up, it's like a mystery film, but the mystery doesn't get established until halfway through the movie. And yeah. it ends like even before. Because also by that point too, when the mystery gets revealed, I already knew how it was going to end out because the movie has no subtlety. I didn't predict, you know, certain things right away, but as right before certain things were going to be revealed, I was like, I think I know where they're going because they're making it so on the nose. It is, yeah. And then, like, you look back. There's no room for interpretation. You look back at certain things that maybe characters said or did, and you're like, okay, I see it there, and that was smart. But now uh, when things are revealed, you're just like, eh. 
Like, I, I don't think it was as clever as, like, Edgar Wright and the other writer thinks it was. Yeah. It also doesn't help, too, that, like, on top of all this, if, if even if we had characters that were at least interesting or had some sort of personality, like, not just Eloise, but the side characters, too, if they had something, maybe it would have saved it. It doesn't, because all the side characters are even more one-dimensional. I didn't like the friend. The friend is supposed to be, like, super nice and, like, oh, he him. cares about her. But he, I, there he was just, just a bit of creepiness to him. Like, I don't know if it was his acting or how he was actually supposed to be written, but I just thought there, there's a certain scene I was telling you about last night. His delivery. His delivery yeah. on a certain thing. For our viewers, I'll say they're standing outside under a light post after a Halloween party. And I just thought it was so creepy. And like, I don't know if that was the point, but yeah, I just didn't, I thought that was very I, weird. I didn't think he came off as a creep because there's actually a lot of creepy characters in this yeah. movie. <laughs> but, um... He, I don't know, he's just boring, though. Like, that's all the characters are so boring, and the acting isn't that great either, which disappointed me. I mean, the two standout actors are Terrence Stamp, yeah, who is, good. he's excellent, because it's General Zod, for crying out loud, and yeah. also Diana Rigg, who, um, this was her final film role. She unfortunately died um, last year, so this is a posthumous release. Was she, she the grandmother? Uh, no, she was uh, the land, the landlady. Oh! She was excellent, yeah. Yeah, she was actually pretty good in the film. Yeah, she's real. she's really good, um... Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor Joy, who are two actresses I really like, are really give really weak performances in this movie, which is disappointing given their track record. And also what what I've seen from their work, like Thomas McKenzie is great in Leave No Trace and Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Anya Taylor Joy is fantastic in The Queen's Gambit. And not only are their characters just like really underdeveloped, but their performances, like especially we talked about this too with Thomas and McKenzie. Her delivery of all her lines is like it's so like high pitched. And it's, it's almost like, kind of, you, I think you said it was you baby do, voice. Yeah, it was like a baby voice. She's like, oh, hello, we're going to go to the art school. It's like like she, yeah, she, just, she like mumbles all her lines, which I think it's not an acting problem. It's a directing problem because he doesn't speak like that in any other movie. She kind of, I don't know. I think she just has a very distinct voice that, you know, I don't want to make fun of her or anything or shame her. But, you know, sometimes it's, she has, like you said, she has a very high pitched voice for a girl. It's, I think she's like maybe 20. I or think she's 20. our age. Yeah, she's our age. So I don't know. But one thing that, you know, in terms of sound and speaking, the sound mixing was not that good here. It was not that great. It was yeah. very hard to understand. And I don't, I can understand British accents pretty well. I love the Harry Potter movies. But <laughs> uh, yeah, there were certain scenes where like, they blended the intense music or like the pop music along with characters talking. And I think they made that sound effect, the sound effects too loud because I couldn't understand anything the characters were saying. I, I didn't have a problem with the sound mixing in the 60s because I think, I think Wright actually used a different sound process to yeah. make it feel more like a 60s film, which is actually pretty cool. When they're in the real world though, the music is so overpowering at points mm. that you couldn't understand what was happening. And it wasn't like, Tenet, where yeah. it was just it was just a poor mix. It's just like the audio levels were just so inconsistent, and yeah. like I don't know if anyone else thought the same too in the theater. But I remember thinking like, yeah, it's hard to hear some of this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, is there what what else is there that you I guess enjoyed or again I had fun watching it. It you know even though it's it, even though it's under two hours, it feels like it's over two hours. But I think. It definitely is one of those movies that if someone's an Edgar Wright fan, I'd recommend they see just to say, oh, I've seen the Edgar Wright movie, if they'd like to see it, of course. But again, I don't know if this is one personally that needs to, you know, if you want to go see that film scene at the Chauncey, if you'd like, then of course go do that. But I maybe Netflix is a good place to watch Maybe, ne Yeah, maybe Netflix. It's just, 
it does have, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I actually really like, when I heard the concept, it, well, actually, we didn't talk about this. We, we could talk about this real quick. We didn't discuss the trailer. The oh. teaser trailer is excellent. It's great. It's an amazing teaser trailer because all it is is just Anya Tara Joy singing uh, Downtown by Patuya Clark, I think is mm. her name. And it just shows Eloise going back in time and just sort of like out of context, all these events that happen. So it leaves a lot of mystery in terms of what you in terms of what you're expecting when you go see the movie. But then the second trailer, which everybody was telling me to avoid, and I did until a week before the movie but came out, unfortunately. Trailer. Yeah, it is a horrendous trailer because it basically tells it you, tells you everything. And that it, even then, it's like, that's the one of the main reasons why I don't like watching trailers anymore. Like, I just yeah. don't want to be spoiled and also have too high of an expectation. But it's like, that is like the epitome of why I don't watch trailers anymore because it gave away some of the movie. Yeah, it's interesting that they basically gave away about two thirds of the movie because I think with the name like Edgar Wright, they know it would give butts and seats. Yeah. But what it says to me and what I've learned is that when there's a movie that gives away a lot of its plot in the trailer, it kind of means the studio's worried people won't go see it. So they have to tell them what they're in for. So they'll be like, oh, okay, I can feel safe going to see this, if that makes sense. And so I feel like the studio looked at this and they were like, uh, okay, we kind of have to tell people what's going on, but we can't give away everything. It's weird because it's, it's Edgar Wright. It's not, like, it's not like this is a new director. It's, yeah. it's not like The Empty Man or anything. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is a director who has a ton of fans, has made consistently great movies of varying genres and styles. And his movies are just fun too. And just, just on the, the name alone, the actors, even the concept too, I think this would have sold well regardless. Yeah. I think it could have just, yeah, I don't know. Definitely not an Edgar Wright movie in my opinion. Yeah, it really isn't. Uh, we're just about out of time for Last Name Soho. So you kind of gave your final thoughts, but you got anything Again, else? I, I, yeah, kind of what I said. I think it's an interesting idea, but the movie itself was a bit of a mess. I'm very mixed on how I feel about it. I would like to see it again, but I think it's probably going to be a while before I actually sit down to watch it. I love Edgar Wright, and I, you know, I'll always be excited to see what he does next. But and I'm glad people are enjoying this for those that have seen it. Oh yeah, a lot it's of a little baffling are. to me that the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is like 91% or something. Seriously? Yeah, wow. something that high. But yeah, you know, I think it could have been a lot better because it's Edgar Wright, and yeah, I don't know. I'd probably give Last Night in Soho a five out of ten. Yeah, this was by far a colossal disappointment. Actually, it is, in my opinion, at least for me, from what I've seen this year, it is my most disappointing film of the year because it had so much promise. And also, on top of my love for Edgar Wright, it was a colossal misfire for what should have been a really gripping psychological horror. Um, we've already touched upon it. It is the narrative and is a mess. The writing is really poor. Uh, the visuals are really nice, but it doesn't really help in any way if the story is that weak. And the handling of some of its sensitive subject matter is just not the most appropriate. But I'm I'm actually very curious to hear what other people have to say about this movie because a lot of people seem to like it. If the audience score on RT tells us anything. But if you're interested in seeing it, it's playing at Film Scene at the Chauncey. It opens today. Check it out if you would like to. Uh, personally, I would not. I didn't really enjoy it very much. And I hate to say that just because it's Edgar Wright. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a four out of 10. So we're going to move on from another, from one horror film to a classic horror film from 1987. And that is Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. Now, why are we talking about Evil Dead 2, Orson? You want to? Yes, we are actually the Bijou Film Board, which Matthew and I are 
execs of, we are showing the original 1981 classic, The Evil Dead, at Film Scene on the Pedmall tomorrow at 9.30 p.m. Tickets are free for University of Iowa students. I think they're, well, yeah. Uh, yeah but it's, a, it's a certain currency a for certain, the general uh, public. Uh, my bad. But, uh, yeah. Uh, the only thing, though, is you have to bring your COVID card mm-hmm. or prove a negative vaccination test, I think, 72 hours beforehand. Uh, yes, I believe Something so. Like that. Which, yeah, that, that will be tomorrow. It's going to be our coming costume. Yeah, coming costume. There's going to be prizes. It's going to be a really fun time. And to celebrate and to create some sort of synergy, we we're going to talk about Evil Dead 2. Uh, last year we talked about the the original one, but that was a fun conversation. That was that was a good conversation. I was surprised how much we generated about that. We talked a lot about the tree scene. I think yes, we did because uh, Calvin was not was a big not fan. Not of a that. fan, yeah. Yeah. So Evil Dead Two is the sequel to the nineteen eighty one horror classic, The Evil Dead, uh, star written, directed and written by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell, Sarah Barry, Dan Hicks, Cassie Wesley, and Richard Dom Damier. And the story of Evil Dead 2, in a way, it's sort of a quasi-remake of Evil Dead 1, in which Ash is the survivor of this onslaught of flesh-possessing spirits, and he has to hide in a cabin with a group of strangers while the demons continue their attack. And I, you are a big fan. Yeah, of Evil I'm a Dead, huge so fan. I'll of, let you have the floor. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Evil Dead franchise. My dad was a huge fan, obviously, when he was like our age back in the 80s and 90s. And so I kind of grew up with it. I mean, I, the first movie I remember seeing distinctly was Cars. I saw that in theaters. I mean, I'm sure there were movies before that, but uh, the one I most distinctly remember seeing on like video, like my checking out from a video store, was my dad again, Evil Dead 2. Because on the poster, there's that skull with the human eyeballs in it. And I remember that was on the disc. I was, yeah, maybe like four or five. So this is always hold a special, it it has always held a special place in my heart. A lot of people love Evil Dead 2 more than the first. Yeah, definitely. Because obviously there was a bigger budget for the movie. There was more, you know, professional, what's the word? Like CGI, quote unquote. or He had a a much larger budget. And it seemed like he had a lot of creative control with this too. Personally, I like, the Evil Dead a lot more just because it feels a lot more raw than Evil Dead 2 does. I still love Evil Dead 2. But yeah, it's I think it's just a very interesting, fun film to watch around this time of the year. It is definitely a fun movie. Um, I, I saw this actually for the first time last year when we talked about the original Evil Dead. And I really like this one. Personally, I like Evil Dead 1 more, but I actually like them pretty equally. Yeah. Evil Dead 1, I like a bit more just because of it was made by basically a bunch of college students. For It's got that rawness. Yeah, it has this raw, independent feel, and it is a lot more inspiring. Evil Dead 2 is still pretty inspiring, given how young Raimi was still at the time. And also, the budget was relatively small, too, even for us. You want to know uh, who was like the one that financed, quote-unquote, Evil Dead 2? It was because of this person. Sam Raimi is still around today. Really? Who, Stephen Tep- King. Oh yeah, because he he saw it at um at like a film festival, the yeah. original one, right? He loved the first movie so much, and then they did this movie. I've never seen it called Crime Wave. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. I've heard it never saw pretty it. bad, and they were like, okay, well, we got to do Evil Dead too. And this was like seven years later, and like I just think it was having a hard time getting off the ground. Like nobody was going to finance it or something. But it was Stephen King who like called up their manager and was like, you know, you. I mean, Stephen King didn't finance it himself personally, but he was the one that basically got it off the ground. And I think they kind of credit him for being the one that saved their careers. That Yeah, that's fascinating. So it's thanks to Stephen King that we now have the wonderful Spider-Man trilogy. And soon Doctor Strange. And soon too. Doctor Strange, as well as um, Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, well, I, I never saw that. But um, yeah, Evil Dead 2, it, 
what I like about it is that Evil Dead 1 was already a really crazy, absurd horror film in terms of just like its humor and its like style and the effects and the monsters and all that. Evil Dead 2 cranks that up to 11 just because oh, this yeah. movie is flat out bonkers. Like even when I was watching it again the other day, I just forgot how much crazy stuff they cram into this movie. And the plot is literally, in a way, the plot is basically the exact, not the exact same. It's pretty similar yeah. to Evil Dead 1. It is, I consider it actually more of a remake than a sequel. Personally. Really, I consider it a sequel because if you just get rid of like the first two minutes, just to, if you're just, you know, counting that as like a retelling of what happened, it kind of, the ending picks up right where the second one starts when Ash falls into the puddle. Yeah, and then he's trapped there. That's at least what Bruce Campbell's interpretation is. So, but it's, I guess it's up for, you know, opinion because yeah, I mean, it's well, more or less a remake wall. A remake wall. That, yeah, that's a, that's a good term we should be using now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I like how it somehow one-ups all the effects and scares and just monsters and all that. It's just, it's a fun movie. Like, unfortunately, when I watched it, I didn't, I, I had to watch it by myself just because yeah. it was just like for time reasons, but this is a movie that you want to go out and just like watch with a bunch of friends or even in like a theatrical setting if you're able to. Yeah. If, if it's like, if it's playing in theaters around Halloween, like this yeah. would be a great one to go check out if you would like to. It's almost as if we still have one year left on the Bijou Film Board. And yeah. And wait a second. I think there's a Halloween next year, but I, I can't be sure, but we will have to see what we'll see about that. Halloween 2022 holds in store. But one thing, when you were talking about the bonkersness, I still think, I mean, I'm not counting the TV show because... Ash versus Evil Dead is flipping wild. Like there's some stuff in that that is just I can't even say on air how crazy it gets, especially in season two and season three. But I think if we're counting the movies, still my favorite scene in all of them is that laughing scene. The laughing scene. The is laughing really scene good. is just it. I think that totally sums up what the Evil Dead franchise is. Yeah, is it's kind of creepy, but it's kind of funny. Like and it's quirky and it's got these cool camera movements. Like I think, yeah, they really just, just do whatever they want. Like there's yeah. there's no rules in in the Evil Dead universe. Basically, there's no rules. There's no logic. And normally, in terms of movies, you like you want there to be some sort of structure or some sort of reasoning yeah. for there why everything happens. No, there doesn't need to be with Evil Dead because it establishes right away that this is just a bonkers world yeah. where anything can happen. So you buy that, and that's why I think makes Evil Dead so fun. And what's funny is that like. I'm more talking about the first one, the marketing or the poster for Evil Dead. It looks, it makes it seem like it'd be this like, oh, this really gritty, serious yeah. horror film, which in a way it does. There are some really serious parts in that movie, but its primary goal is honestly just to entertain. It's just a yeah. bunch of people having fun. Yeah, I think that's the nice thing about this franchise is like, especially because almost all of them, I think all of them actually are like under 95 minutes. Yeah. Like, I think Evil Dead the, 2 is only 84 minutes, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, even Army of Darkness, I think, is under 90 minutes itself. I think the remake was probably about 95 minutes. But it's nice because you know what to expect with this franchise. It's people go to a cabin. Most people know who the Ash character is, so he's not going to die. But you can kill off all these other people, and it's like yeah, it, it you expect it. Like, it, does, it doesn't overstay its welcome because yeah. like, there's a lot of horror films nowadays that are just so long in many ways. Yeah. Like, like we've, we've mentioned the empty man quite a bit. Just and they try to take themselves recently. too seriously when yeah. it's like, if you took it down from a, you know, 10 on the pretentious level to like a seven, it'd be a lot more fun mm -hmm. because it's like, no, you can just kill these characters off in like fun, gruesome ways. 
and will be entertained as the audience. We know what we're coming there to expect with the Evil Dead movies. You don't need to be some highbrow form of art that questions, you know, how we look at religion or something. Yeah, like that. That'd be like if, like, well, going back to the Edgar Wright thing, that'd be like if Shaun of the Dead had some sort of like I don't know consumerist, um, yeah. like capitalist political commentary because since Sean, he works in like an electronic store, like maybe yeah. playing something like that. It's like, no, you hear the title Sean of the Dead. You know what you're getting into. It sounds like a, it's, it's, it's basically essentially like a, a parody. Comedy, yeah. It's a parody of zombie films. So like by the title alone, you know what you're getting into. And arguably with the first Evil Dead, you weren't really sure. Granted, yeah. we weren't alive back when that first came yeah. out. But Evil Dead 2, even with just its poster, like it is both serious, but also in a way sort of lets you know, okay, this is going to be a little quirky and weird. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about those posters is they filmed the movie, which that's an interesting story itself. And then their manager's like, you got to have posters for this. And so the woman that's on like all the promotional images and posters and stuff, she's not even in the movie. The hand? Yeah, that's not, that's yeah, interesting. that woman's not even in the movie. So I think, again, that just goes back to how funny it is that like they, you know, that image you associate with the evil dead franchise of that woman coming out of the ground with the hand uh, she's not even in the movie. So I just think that's funny itself. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really inspiring uh, series, I think. And I feel like we're just going to talk more about the whole series than the movie as a whole, well, yeah, but because, that's okay. I mean, yeah, that's fine because like, I mean, Evil Dead 2 is not like, it's not a thought-provoking tale in yeah. any way. It's really just kind of madness happens. I mean, we, we could just list off like, various scenes of like funny stuff that happens, but it's like in terms of character development, there's there's really not a lot there. The one actually, okay, the one thing that I loved in this movie that I had to rewind, I don't know if you caught it, is when he's fighting the head that's biting his hand. Yeah. And he's on the floor and in a clearly terrible ADR dub, he just says woodshed. Yeah, there's some some bad. I mean, but I think it's done on purpose. uh, Maybe, who knows, but I mean, the movie is not perfect, obviously. Like, there are some technical problems with it. Like, I, I did recognize the ADR in this watch. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of times when the dialogue just simply doesn't sync. One and thing, it's kind of funny. But One thing I actually really love that they were able to do was, like, the stop motion stuff. Yeah, the stop thought, motion. The opening scene is really good with the, the Book of the scene, Dead. The one scene that still, even, you know, a 20-year-old man, it freaks me out, is the scene where he's in the shed and he's, like, looking for the chainsaw. And the thing comes in holding it. It's like missing the head or whatever. Yeah. And it's holding it. It's clearly stop motion. Something about that I think is pretty creepy. Even even like just the uh, what's the one part with the animals too. Yeah. Or the or not the whenever the laughing scene. The I said the animal scene. just because the deer the head. Deer. But it's got like the lamp and the books and the clock. Yeah. It's just and even with the uh, <laughs> there's another part with uh, when the creature or the monster in the cellar is in there and like ash is down there and he has oh, to like, yeah. get back up. And then they're just they're just like stomping on top of the <laughs> cellar door. It's just it, it's so goofy. It's such a goofy image, but it works though because I like how even though there's some of these horror scenes that are quote unquote funny or like silly, there is still this eliciting moment of fear too. Like you would still feel a little scared though, which yeah. is nice. So it's not completely. It's over the top, but it's not like the comedy overpowers the horror. It still allows for some decent buildup and scares. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really necessarily a scary movie. It's not, I mean, that's, it's not an issue I have with Evil Dead. It's something I kind of like is that as each film went on, they went, the first one basically kind of is a horror film. It's more of a comedy. Yeah, more or less. But by the time you get to Army of Darkness, Army of Darkness is just a straight up comedy. It's, there's nothing really scary about it. 
But this kind of is right in the middle. There's, like you said, some scenes where it's like, oh, that's kind of freaky or spooky, but then you're laughing out loud because of how ridiculous it is. Admittedly, I haven't seen Army of Darkness yet, unfortunately. So I'm unfamiliar, which is funny because we could talk about, I guess, the ending too because this movie is almost 35 years old or something like that. The the ending is 40 years old. Well, Evil Dead 2, at least. Yeah, Evil Dead 2 is almost 40 years old. Really? Yeah, it came out in 87. I mean, yeah, and I guess it's I, like, <laughs> I guess it's about uh, 35, whatever. Yeah, way. I'd say it's closer to 35 than 40, but it sort of leads into Army of Darkness. Like, Ash gets basically transported back in time. <laughs> to the medieval To mind. the medieval ages, and he kills a monster, and everyone thinks he's like the messiah, yeah. pretty much. So One thing, and I just learned this recently that I have a gripe with about Army of Darkness, is it's called Army of Darkness. There's no evil dead in there. Yeah. Their working title was Medieval Dead. And I'm like, they should have stuck with that. Oh, that would have been a good that title. That would have been way yeah. better, I think. But Army of Darkness is still Army of Darkness title. is a good title, but if if I heard of that movie and didn't know what Evil Dead was, I would I would see no connection between yeah. the two. But we're going to move into a quick grant spot, and we'll be right back with more Evil Dead 2. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing our conversation on Evil Dead 2. And we were we left off on Medieval Dead or Army of Darkness, Darkness, right? Yeah, yeah, that would have been a really good title. Um, I'm just trying to think what else like there there is to talk about this movie. Just because I mean, there's there's simultaneously a lot, but also like it's more like an in the moment movie where yeah, it's kind of it's I would I'm trying because even though I love these movies, I'm trying to look at it from a non biased perspective. It's a very disposable movie. Yeah. Like you watch it, you're like, all right, that was really fun. And if you know you grew up with it like I did or you're a huge horror fan, you'll keep thinking about it and revisiting it. But I think just sometimes for the common uh, moviegoer, kind of like what you said a couple minutes ago, is you go to a theater or you watch it with friends and you're like, all right, that was super fun. I loved that. But then you don't think about it until the next Halloween season. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I felt, it's, it's specifically with Evil Dead 2, which this is probably why I prefer 1. Evil Dead 1... I still remember a lot of moments from it. It is a bit more resonating. And also just knowing some of the context of how that movie was made. Yeah. There's a lot more, not that, not to say I don't respect Evil Dead 2. I still respect that movie a lot, but considering just how, how young everybody was and how it was just a bunch of friends making a movie in the woods, like that element is what made me remember is like, Oh, I appreciate how they did all the effects and just the setup and all the weird stuff that happens. Evil Dead 2. It's like, yeah, they did. They did it. It's still really awesome. But knowing the fact that they're a bit more established now, yeah. is financed by a studio, it loses a little bit of that inspiring that mystique. Charm. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. But it does. It doesn't bother me. Oh no, it doesn't bother me. The movie's still just just as good. I think what I've always liked about the Evil Dead franchise is you look at other franchises such as Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth or Saw or Paranormal Activity, as they became more popular with the public eye, they started to lose that special charm. I feel like with all the Evil Dead entries that we've gotten, the the Holy Trilogy, the remake, the TV show, and there's a new movie coming soon. Oh, really? There is? Yeah, it's never lost that charm. Like maybe some people could be like, oh, well, I didn't like the remake that much. Again, we've talked about this before. The remake's very different yeah. from any of the Evil Dead movies, and it's not really, that's not a remake. That's just they share a couple of the same qualities, but it doesn't even focus over the Ash character. But even with the TV show, if you're counting all the Bruce Campbell stuff at least, it all has that kind of like sweet funness to it while also maintaining a little bit of scares. Yeah, it's, going back to the remake, I, have, I haven't seen the remake either. Really the only two Evil Dead things that I've seen are one and two. Uh, I always heard to avoid the remake for the longest time, like in high school and stuff. You're like, oh yeah, don't even bother with the remake. It's just No, that's one of the better 
horror remakes. Yeah, but, they, but but then it wasn't until I came to Iowa that I yeah. heard it's like, oh, it's actually really good. Like you've mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends that lives in my dorm, he also really liked it too. And I was just like, wow. Now it seems like a lot of people like this movie. What what is it? Then it's because I've yeah. heard two different opinions from two different states. I'd be honestly very curious to see what your thoughts are because I think you could go either way. I don't think you'd like love it, but I don't think you could. I could see you either just liking and be like, oh yeah, it's okay, or you'd hate it. Oh, okay. Because it is very jump scare heavy, but uh, it's very you know again, Evil Dead takes the lightheartedness, especially in the later films where it's like, okay, we know what we are. This is very grim. And it, it actually does some things I like where it gives an interesting reason as to why they're at the cabin. I won't spoil it because I actually think it's pretty genius. But yeah, it's a very grim, dark telling of kind of the same story. So so I guess they sort of ground it a bit more is what you're saying. Yeah. But definitely it's very like, it's super gory. Like it might be a little bit more gory than the first. There's something with an exacto knife that- I've, just, seen, a, I've seen a clip from- uh, that I've seen a clip from the remake. Like yeah. most of the Evil Dead stuff I can tolerate, but that scene is- pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, speaking of like tolerating material, I remember when we talked about Evil Dead, the first one last year, our previous host, Calvin Leslie, had a particular problem with the tree scene, the tree scene which right. is admittedly the only part in the movie where it's just like, oh, this feels the most dated and is the most problematic. They kind of fi- sort of fixed that in the sequel in a way. There is a tree scene, There's but a tree it's not scene. as graphic. No, it's not as graphic and it's not as um, potentially triggering yeah. as um, the first one was. I mean, it's still a pretty creepy scene, yeah. but they kind of rectified that situation too, which is like, that's cool. And also the effects are, are debatably improved. In, yeah, the effects were at the time. I mean, you can tell nowadays. You're like, oh, okay, I see it. But, they just reversed the film. But I kind of like that the effects are a little dated. Like, I think oh, yeah, that makes it look here. a lot cooler. Yeah, you respect it a bit. You respect it a lot more because you know, it, you know, it wasn't just animators going in to like I don't know whatever animation programs there are and just doing that on the computer. They actually had yeah. to do that practically. Think of thinking of all these techniques to get like the tree. Uh, branches to like wrap around yeah. somebody or how to get the um like the mum not the, why did I say the mummy <laughs> the mu- like the monster makeup and all that right I remember one of my my best friend Michael sent me a video probably about like two years ago it was a behind the scenes of how they filmed that opening scene where ash is like flying through the sky if that makes sense oh and yeah that, that's a great part too I love yeah, that the way they that filmed moment. that was like they actually like strapped Bruce Campbell something and they were like spinning him Huh. I'm like, it's very funny. I recommend if someone should look it up if they'd like to see and get a good laugh. But yeah, that again, that's super interesting to see how they were filming this movie behind the scenes. That, yeah, that's crazy to, to think about that. Because I know like with the, um, in the first film and even in the second one in the beginning, the, I guess the spirit flying through the house, it was on like a motorcycle, yeah. right? Like they, like the cameraman was on like the back of a bike and they sort of like, they like, re- they reversed the, the yeah. film footage, but he was actually going away from the house. No, that, he actually, at the end, Oh, in the end? He ran into Bruce Campbell. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. okay. See, I thought it was the opposite. No, he, yeah, ran into Bruce Campbell for that. Wow. I know. He apparently, I mean, Bruce Campbell's been like, that's not true, but then other people are like, that's true. So who knows? Maybe they'll never reveal it. But in terms of the, the spirit thing, one scene that I actually think is really funny here is the chase sequence where the spirit is chasing Ash throughout yeah. the house. And he literally starts, like, what's it called? Like when he goes into like the walls or something? Something about that's just so funny to it, me. Like, yeah, in a way, it's almost like, the the movie sort of uh, crosses the fine line between going to like comedy and then sort of like Looney Tunes territory in yeah. terms of its absurdity. Because then like 
Ash disappears. He gets away from the spirit. Like, you know, they go through a doorway and Ash turns the corner, but then Ash is gone. Yeah. And the spirit just like, obviously using the camera, they turn it left or right. Like the spirit's looking yeah, around. Like, where are you? And I'm like, again, well, you just said that Looney Tunes kind of thing. This demonic spirit is like confused. It's yeah. It's kind of like the row runner and the coyote. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's a lot of just like really cool influences here and there. Yeah. Not even from like places that you wouldn't expect. Like you wouldn't expect Looney Tunes to it's have that sort of influence. It, when you're talking about influences, it's also interesting to see how what Sam Raimi did, especially in Evil Dead 2, uh, shows up in a lot of his other work. Like yeah. the Dr. Octopus scene in the yes. hospital in Spider-Man 2, that's straight out of a horror movie. That's it's an Evil Dead Specifically scene. straight out of Evil Dead 2. It's yeah. with the, the chainsaw. chainsaw. I think that's an amazing which is, shot. Which is funny because most people, I think, I even think we brought this up in the Evil Dead episode, but a lot of people today know Raimi from the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. To consider, I mean, probably equally as much, but Spider-Man, especially with the anticipation of No Way Home, yeah. there's more buzz around Spider-Man than ever, debatably. But when I first saw Spider-Man 2, I'm just like, wow, that scene is awesome. And then I saw Evil Dead, I'm just like, oh, oh that's where everything came from because yeah. it's the same director. I'll be very curious to see how it shows in Doctor Strange 2, which That'd they say is going to be a horror movie. So who knows what that means for Marvel. But yeah, I, I know the actors like Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen have said, oh yeah, Sam Raimi's having very fun with the camera. And I'm like, that's amazing, man. That's awesome, yeah. I, I saw Oz. I don't really remember much of it. It was like five or six years ago, but I don't really remember caring for that one too much. It was very like, you know, he was, again, working for Disney, but it very much seemed like the, it was just kind of a work for hire thing, mm. if that makes sense. Like, they just had the name attached, but they're like, no, here's how you're going to direct I, it. I've always been curious about it because I love Wizard of Oz and yeah. and seeing Sam Raimi sort of take on Wizard of Oz is actually an interesting, he's, a, he's, he's a, it's actually a pretty good choice for him to direct an Oz because yeah. Oz is like, Wizard of Oz has a lot of elements that could debatably be horrific. Or I mean, Return yeah. to Oz is a straight up horror movie. I don't care what people say. <laughs> if you've ever seen Return to Oz, anyone listening out there, it's a 1985 sequel made by the Disney Corporation, and it's one of the scariest movies for children ever made. Huh. So it's on Disney Plus to check out if you would like to. It's, that's an interesting movie. So it's like, and just sort of the, abs the absurdities and also just the overall creepiness that come from Oz in a way. It would lend very well to what uh, Raimi did with the Evil Dead movie, so I, I would like to check that out sometime. Yeah, his whole body of work is very interesting. He's done like the Spider-Man movies and next Doctor Strange 2, then he's got Oz, then he's got the Evil Dead, but then he's got like some stuff that's like straight up like just drama. I think he did a baseball movie once. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a baseball drama. He, he did. He produces a lot of stuff too. Oh, he. I mean, you know, some of his movies are the, that he produces. I, I'm very glad that he likes to produce movies from like, first-time horror filmmakers. Crawl is actually a really good movie. That was a really good um, claustrophobic thriller. But like movies like Don't Breathe or The Grudge, both uh, the recent Grudge movies, the one from 2004 and the one from 2019, or I think it was 2020. Mm -hmm. I didn't care for that. I thought they were very cheap. Like I get why you know he probably was attracted to them because he saw himself maybe in the filmmakers, but I, yeah, those weren't really that good. He, he also did Darkman too. Oh, Darkman's really good. Yeah, which... I've always been interested in Darkman. Liam Neeson. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I think it's Liam Neeson. I'm 99% sure. Interesting. Well, we are just about out of time for uh, our conversation on the Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2. So final thoughts. I feel like this is hard because we talked about the movie a little bit, but I feel like we just talked about the Evil Dead trilogy as a whole. Sort of, yeah. And Sam Raimi. But again... I love this whole franchise. Even, again, even the remake and the TV show is actually really good. I would implore anyone that 
wants to know more about this franchise or is interested to check it out if they'd like to. It's very fun. And they're, again, kind of what we said, they're very quick and easy binges. They're not very long. I think the TV show, each episode, well, it's three seasons, only like half an hour an episode, so it's pretty quick. But yeah, I love it as a whole. I'd probably give Evil Dead 2 an 8 out of 10. I think it's one that maybe as a filmmaker, when I get older, I'll appreciate more. But I, I still appreciate it a whole lot. But yeah, for right now, I still I still like the original just a little bit more. Evil, yeah, Evil Dead 2 is it's pure madness. It's pure chaos, but it's a ton of fun. I would also recommend checking out the Evil Dead, the first one, if you would like to. Um, I prefer that one still, but Evil Dead 2 is still just as good. It, in that for a sequel, even if a sequel is not better than the original, being just as good is also yeah, it's definitely rarity. just as good. It's a, it's rare to be just as good as your predecessor because most of the time sequels are sequelitis. Sequelitis, yeah, they're either not they're either a hair below or just straight up inferior. This one's just as good. So, yeah, yeah it's a fun time. Uh, get a bunch of friends together, check it out if you'd like to, and I'm also going to give it an eight out of ten. And yeah, don't forget that uh, Bijou is showing. The Evil Dead, the original one. The classic. Tomorrow at Film Scene on the Ped Mall. If you'd like to come check it out, you are more than welcome to. It's a very fun Halloween screening. Yep. And that will wrap up this episode of Bijou Banter. Tune in next week where we're going to be talking finally about Wes Anderson's latest project, The French Dispatch, as well as the Army of the Dead prequel, prequel. Yeah, prequel, prequel. Army of Thieves on Netflix, which I admittedly did not even know was coming out until... I mean, I knew it was coming out, but I didn't realize it was coming out this quickly, considering the first one came out. That was out. pretty fast release. In May, yeah. Um, I'd be interested to see what, how that will go down. But until then, I've been Matthew. And I've been Orson. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>